Well, here's where we are. We're in the 15th chapter of John, and we're in the upper room, uh, but they've sort of gotten up for the table. And it's sort of like, you know, the way my family is, or maybe your family too. You get up from the table, and there's still, you think you're about ready to leave, but you're not really ready to leave. There's some talking to be done. And some people believe that in chapter 15 here, Jesus is actually walking them through the Kidron Valley. So you're coming from the upper part, the northwestern part of uh, Jerusalem. You're coming through the city by the temple. You go down through the Kidron Valley, and you go up to the uh, Mount of Olives. And at the Mount of Olives, in the Mount of Olives, on the Mount of Olives, there, third time's a charm, on the Mount of Olives is the Garden of Gethsemane. So some people believe chapter 15, chapter 16, chapter 17, he's actually walking them and talking them. Uh, Some other folks believe that Jesus is still in the upper room because in chapter 18, it says, when Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples over the Brook Kidron. Not a big deal. I'm going to tell you why here in a minute. But they're in the upper room, and he's just hours away from being, you know, uh, put on the cross. And he's giving them sort of final instructions. And it's funny. I mean, final instructions, if I was to die and knew it, it wouldn't be getting down on my knees, I don't think, and washing your feet. My last night. But that's what he did, and he said, if I do it, you serve me, a servant's not greater than his master. He gave us an example. And he actually even eats with and talks with his betrayer in the upper room. And he gives him every opportunity. He sits him beside him. He gives him the bread and friendship and there's, there's movements of, of reaching out to Judas and Judas takes what uh, the enemy has put in his heart and betrays the Lord. And we see at the end of chapter 13 that J- Peter, what, a, what an amazing uh, uh, picture. Peter says, oh Lord, I'll never deny you. I mean, all those, you know, pounding the fist, I'll never Be careful of saying, I'll never. (laughs) And within hours now, or, you know, yeah, within hours, Jesus predicts it, and Peter denies Jesus in front of the people. And I point that out because it's interesting. Peter there is acting in his own natural strength. And your own natural strength to be kind or to be loyal or to pursue holiness, it might last a little bit, but it's going to run out. You and I and we, we need the Lord. And we need him every minute of every day, second by second, minute by minute. And next, Jesus tells us in chapter 14, this amazing chapter, that he is the way and the truth and the life and that the Father is revealed uh, in him and he talks about answered prayer and then he promises the other helper, the Holy Spirit. And at the end of chapter 14, the Lord tells us and you and we that he wants to leave for his followers his peace his settledness, his quietness of heart, even in the middle of drastic, terrible circumstances. I always refer to this because she's amazing. Elizabeth Elliot wrote a book called uh, Keeping a Quiet Heart. You ever read this book? You'll be rocked if you read this book. Here's a lady who has her husband murdered with a little baby and goes and lives with the murderers to witness to them. You talk about keeping a quiet heart. The tendency, the, the, the move of human nature towards panic without God. And Elizabeth Elliot writes about that. But here he says, I want to give you my peace, the peace straight from heaven. Now, that peace is way different than human peace. 
human peace is let's get all our circumstances just perfect and then I'll be peaceful. God's peace says no matter what the circumstances, you can have my life and resource to keep a quiet heart and not panic even when your circumstances are terrible. Whew. Man, is that a good word. Okay, so now we get to chapter 15. And again, some people believe he's walking now with his disciples. Some people believe he's still in the upper room, sort of that, you know, we're leaving now, and then we talk for two hours, right? And that's sort of, that's sort of maybe what's happening. I'm going to tell you why that's important here in a minute. I am the true vine, Jesus said. The last of his I am statements. This is the last of Jesus' I am statements. I am the true vine. And that is connected to Exodus chapter 3, the burning bush. God and Moses have this encounter, and God's calling Moses to lead the people of God, and Moses starts making up some excuses. It's so great to read that because the Bible's so real and raw. Abraham called a friend of God. Moses uh, the Bible says that God talked to him and Moses talked back like they were friends. And here this great Moses, who's just like you and I, is making up these excuses and says, Lord, I, I, you know, I have a, I'm not a very good speaker. Lord says, don't worry, Aaron's coming with you. He's a great speaker. Well, well I know, but uh, who do I tell people you are? I mean, you're indescribable and I'm, I just couldn't describe you. And he, the Lord says, tell them I am. In other words, the eternal uh, uh, um, title for God, the great I am. There's never been any beginning. There's never been any end. And here in the book of John, Jesus fills in who God is because Jesus is God in the flesh. And the last of his I am statements is this. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches he who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone doesn't abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit. So you will be my disciples. Well, would you pray with me before we begin? Lord, thanks for this morning, and thank you for this amazing word, the last of the I am statements. I thank you, Lord, that you have a way in which you've asked us to live privately and publicly. So I just pray that you would flesh this out for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. I never title my sermons. Never. I, I'm too unorganized for that. Whoever does that, and I was just watching a pastor yesterday. He had this amazing video, and he introduces online what he's going to talk about. I'm like, oh, my goodness, I couldn't do that if I had all the time in the world. I'm just not gifted this way. But a title came to me, and that is... Um, uh, the language of your private life or ordering your private life. Somebody should write a book called Ordering Your Private Life. I think it was a bestseller. But anyway, this is your private life with Christ. There you go, your private life with Christ. And he gives this as he is now either walking towards the Kidron Valley and up to the place where the people are going to take him to the cross, the Garden of Gethsemane, or he's still in the upper room and he's about to walk that way. And the reason I tell you that is, is extra biblical sources tell us that up on the Temple Mount, these massive gates on the Temple Mount, massive gates, they had these golden vines and they were big and huge. 
And even in and around Jerusalem, even in and around Jerusalem, the, uh, there were several vineyards. So that is something that Jesus would see and would know, and he would be walking his disciples through the area, and these sorts of things would be around. See, Israel, its national symbol, or one of its symbols, especially as it was, uh, uh, Israel was talked about in the Old Testament, was the vine. Did you know that? You could turn to Psalm 80. It says, you have brought a vine out of Egypt. Anybody ever watch the Prince of, what, what's that move? Prince of Egypt. I'm kidding. You read your Bible and you know that the vine was out of Egypt. You have cast out the nations and planted it. You prepared room for it and caused it to take root. And it filled the land. That's Psalm 80 talking about Israel. The vine. Isaiah 5, now let me sing to my well-beloved a song of my beloved regarding his vineyard. My well-beloved has a vineyard and on a very fruitful hill. He dug it up and cleared out its stones and planted it with the choicest vine. He built a tower and also made a wine press. So he expected it to bring forth good grapes, but it brought forth wild grapes. Speaking of Israel and their inability, their hardness of heart to follow the covenant. But anyway... Isaiah 5, 7, for the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel. How much more plain could it be than that? Jeremiah, yet I had planted you a noble vine, a seed of highest quality. How then have you turned before me? Ezekiel 19, same thing. You're getting the picture, are you? See, the vine was a picture of Israel. And in the Old Testament, people knew it. So Jesus, so amazing, so great, as he often does, including in the I am statements, he takes something that the people know. In this case, they're going to be walking either by, or I know they're going to be walking by the temple and see the gates, or there's vineyards around, and possibly both. both he uses that picture to describe what the relationship's going to be between he and his disciples when he leaves. Because he's about ready to leave the scene. Which means he's the same, we're in the same position now. Jesus is seated at the right hand of the Father. We don't see him physically, but we know because we uh, uh, study his word and know, uh, you know his presence. And oh, by the way, we have the spirit of Christ that comes to the Christian and lives inside of us. But he says this, I am the true vine. not the false vine. And that's interesting. In other words, what's in the vine, and that's delivered to the branches. There's real life. You know, what you and I were uh, uh, conditioned to believe, that life is grow up, get the perfect marriage, get the perfect house, get the perfect car, get the perfect hobby, make sure you set up your 401k so you can retire and play golf and travel. And that's life, man. That's living it. And we have millions and millions of people in the United States living that dream, and it's empty. And they get to the end of their life and they say, wow, is this all there was? This isn't satisfying in any way. What, what is there? And Jesus says and offers, he says, I'm the true vine. In other words, the life that I give, the life that I give is real life and real resource. It's the whole purpose for why you were made. It's really Christianity. Paul expresses it in Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Remember this? The old nature, put away with. It's not I who live, but Christ lives in me and through me, and that's Christianity. I have this... I always tell you this story. <laughs> I had this evangelist downtown just screaming at me one day. I mean, yelling at me. <laughs> I'm walking by the street, and he is getting after me. And I just have a smile on my face, and I don't know. He said something. He wasn't being smart. Like, he said, what's so funny? Or something like that. And I just said, Christ in me, the hope of glory. 
And he's like, yeah, brother, you know, all that sort of thing. And that, I just thought about that. I mean, that's, that's it. Christ lives in us. We, we get his life. And that's the true vine, as opposed to any religious system or covenant, although we are under the covenant of grace, of course. I'm just saying, the rules and regulations, some sort of religious system, that's not what saves. That's not what gives life. It's Jesus that gives life. I'm the true vine. The vine, it's the source and sustenance of all life for branches. By the way, in Ezekiel, it says that, the, that branches are only good for burning and sort of bearing up, which will be important here in a minute. But the vine, it's just the source and sustenance of life for the branches. And you and I, we need to remember that. And Jesus, apparently, he tells us, he says, I am the true vine. Well, the branch, I am the branch and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. What is the branch? Well, it's in and of itself, Remember, Ezekiel, it's good for either bearing something or burning. There's nothing really great in and of itself of the branch. In other words, the branch doesn't produce life on its own. And followers of Christ are the branches, you see. And we're dependent upon the life of Christ. Now, you guys are all saying yes, but remember, the Bible says you can walk in the flesh or walk in the spirit. And then it lists what the fruit of, or what the fruit is of walking according to the flesh. And then it lists what the fruit of walking according to the spirit. And oftentimes, even us Christians, or us Christians, resort back to walking according to the flesh. And it produces ugly things. Amen? Oh, but the good news says there's a vine dresser. The father is the vine dresser. In the Old Testament, God the Father was presented as the one who would garden and cultivate and manage the vine. And he fulfills this role for the believer in the new covenant. And it's really cool. The new covenant uh, participant, you and I, under the blood of Christ, has a relationship with both the father and the son we have a relationship with the vine itself and the vine dresser, which just, which just means gardener. So it's so beautiful, isn't it? It's beautiful, this picture of the Lord giving us life to live it. So here, here's the picture. Watch this. Here's what I thought. When I first became a Christian, I said this prayer and this, you know, four spiritual laws Somebody presented it to me. I was like, yeah, okay. And here's what I said. Yeah, okay, good. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to learn all the rules and I'm going to do them. That's what I said. And it would be really ultra frustrating because I would find myself, you know, within 20 minutes breaking a commandment or, you know, sinning or something. And what I was doing was I didn't understand that Jesus was the one who to live his life in and through me. What's amazing about this is that the Lord just doesn't say, okay, let's see you get saved from et uh, eternal damnation, saved unto eternal life. The Lord just doesn't pat you on the head and says, good luck. <laughs> he doesn't do that. I want you to know this, young people, old people like me. He gives us his very life to live the Christian life so that when you get to the Sermon on the Mount and he says stuff like this, I want you to love your enemies. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus, here's the deal. You love your enemies, which means you don't just tolerate people, you love them. And when I get to those places in the Sermon on the Mount, I know me without the Lord in my life. I go, oh, Lord, I am in trouble. And that's the point. 
He's driving you to receive the life that he has to be able and to go and love people even when they are unlovable to you. So, every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. I always laugh when we get to these scriptures here because people start to get squeamish. Wait a minute. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Oh my goodness, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Uh Uh-oh. That it may bear more fruit. Well, what's he talking about here? Well, here's what's really fascinating about this phrase, takes away. I have the New King James Bible. It has a little footnote uh, beside it, and it's a special word. It's a word in the Greek, and I want you to know this, that is oftentimes, many times, a lot of times, watch this, it means to raise up. Are you getting that? Listen, I want you to mark that down somewhere, to raise up, and here's why. Vines in Israel were across the ground, not necessarily growing this way. They were across the ground. And a lot of times, what would happen to the fruit that would start to develop with the vines is that they would be in the mud and the muck. And a good gardener or dresser, guess what he would do? Or she would do? Guess what they would do? They would take the vine along the ground, the the, the fruit that was getting dirty, and in order to make more fruit, they'd do a couple things. But the first thing they would do is they'd look for a rock and they'd stick the rock up underneath that thing to bear it up. You're not getting this. Because here's why you're not getting it. You're like, Lord, I don't know. And here's one of the things I want you to know is that you have a, 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 a relationship with the vine as the branch, you're going to start producing fruit. It's no option. He's, if, if, if you, what we say, or we see here in a minute, become, come into a relationship with the Lord, you're going to bear fruit. No option. You will bear fruit. And what he does is he's like, oh man, they're, they have this fruit and it's starting to develop. And all of a sudden, oh, they sunk into the mud. They're getting low and dirty. And the Lord comes along. Look at this. He wants you to make more fruit, so he doesn't chop you off, squish you, stamp on you, and say you're no, he takes you and he he props you up. That's what that word means there. It's arrow in the Greek. He props you up. So he gives fruit. He develops fruit in your life. We're going to talk about what that is in a minute. And he says, in every branch that does not bear fruit, look at this. He takes away, uh uh-oh, you know, we start going like this. It's the word that means build up. (laughs) Take you out of the mud, clean you up, so that you're fit to produce more fruit. What does fruit have in it? Seeds. Why do you think that is? It's to produce more fruit. He takes away, he bears up, and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes. You're like, wait a minute, prunes? I'm not, I don't know anything about gardening, but I know what pruning shears look like. And don't look fun. But I want you to turn somewhere with me. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. Would you turn there? And I want you to know this. Hebrews chapter 12, so we'll look through this together, and we'll, uh, go right here to verse 5 and verse 6. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 5 and verse 6. Am I in the right spot? Yes. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as to sons. Folks, the first thing I want you to think in your heart Am I a son or daughter of the king? Think that to yourself. Answer that question for yourself. If you don't know if you're a son or a daughter of the king, well, we need to talk. You Surrender your life to Jesus. But if you say you're a son or daughter of the king, this applies to you. 
And you have have forgotten the exhortation which speaks to you as a child of the king, my son or daughter. Don't despise the chastening of the Lord. That's so anti-American. We don't want (laughs) any chastening. We don't want anybody to discipline us. Because now, hey, come on. What's it your business? But see, the Lord says, do not despise his chastening, his discipline, his direction, his building into you more life. Nor be discouraged when you are rebuked by the Lord. Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by the Lord. Go get on a athletic team. Oh, Johnny, I, I know you didn't play defense right there. It's okay. We don't mind. No, you, that, that would be silly. For the better of the team, for the better of the kid, get down in a stance and play defense. Why aren't you playing defense? That's what you would say, right? Don't be discouraged when you're rebuked by the Lord, for whom the Lord loves. Are you a son and daughter of the king? Whom the Lord loves, he chastens. Praise God for chastening. Seriously, if you have a prayer book, put that at the top of your list this week. Praise God for chastening. You know why praise God for chastening? Because it means you're in the family of God. Wow. Praise God. For whom the Lord loves, he chastens, and he scourges every son whom he receives. Here you go, verse 7. If you endure chastening, God deals with you as with sons. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? But if you were without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate and not sons. It's pretty plain. If you receive the chastening of the Lord. See, when you come into the family of God, the Bible tells us that we are sanctified. I read it today. And we're being sanctified, and the Lord is producing fruit in your life. Why does he produce fruit? We're going to see it here in a minute. So that he is made big in the world that tries to make him little. And so that other people can come and take a bite of your life, which is really the life of Christ, and be refreshed and blessed and saved and come into a relationship with God through Jesus. Are you catching this? So as you're growing, sometimes has it been your experience that you didn't do the right thing? It's been my experience. And the Lord says, you know, there's some things in your life. He looks down. He he knows your heart. He says, I know what your life is like, and I have your best at heart. And what is pruning? It's just chastening for the Lord. But see, there's some things that are dead in your life. Like, I'm going to give you some dead stuff. You know when you spend eight hours on Facebook a day? Dead. Come on, folks. Seriously? Eight hours? Six hours? Four hours? Well, I'm keeping up with my friends. Well, really? I always get in trouble about this, but come on. How can, how can Christians binge watch Netflix? I have no idea. Just over and over again, just wasting time, just wasting time. How? I just, and me too. I'm pointing the finger at me. How do I waste so much time? And the Lord says, here, I want to cut out the dead stuff. Because you know that the Bible says anything outside of faith is not pleasing to the Lord. It's, It's not eternal. Anything done without faith, even good stuff, is not eternal. So you know what the Lord wants to do? I'm probably... Not doing this right. But here's what the Lord, he's just saying, you know, I'm going to lead them. I'm going to prop them up where they're bearing fruit. And then where there's some dead things in their life, the dead parts, I'm just going to trim that away. And the reason I'm doing that is because they're a son and daughter. And I love them. And I want them to grow lots more fruit. Not only that, I want their fruit to be transferred so more fruit will grow on other people. So it's important that I talk to them, speak to them about the dead things of their life. Has the Lord ever said anything to you about dead things? Oh man, he busts me a lot about that. 
And you know, it's funny, when the Lord points one of those things out to you, you say, no, no way. It's not, come on, Lord, it's, it's, it's not even that big a deal. I mean, I'm, it's not bad or anything. I'm not looking at bad pictures on, I know, but it, the Lord just sort of gently says to you, but it's not glorifying me. It's not making me big. And that's the safest and best place to be. So he says, there's going to be pruning to bear more fruit. And what's really interesting here is it says here, you are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. I don't know if you remember, but back in chapter 13, <laughs> as, watch this, as Jesus gets down on his knees and starts to wash. Peter argues with the Lord. So funny. I mean, funny, man. You ain't doing that to me, Peter says. And Jesus says, well, wait a minute. What I'm doing, you don't understand now, but you're going to know after this. And Peter said to him, you'll never wash my feet. And Jesus said, well, if I don't wash you, you have no part with me. And then <laughs> it's the Bible's funny some places, and the, Peter goes, oh, okay, Lord, not my feet, but also my hands and my head. Do everything. And Jesus said to him, he who is bathed needs only to wash his feet, but is completely clean, and you are clean, but not all of you. And that speaks of, we talked about, when we come into a relationship with the Lord, yes, we are cleansed. Our sins are paid for, past, present, and future, no doubt by the Lord, but as we walk through this life, our feet sort of get dirty. You know what it is like, the dirty joke that you hear, the, you know, the stuff that we get involved in that's just dead. And the Bible says here, God just tells us, in fact, John tells us in 1 John, hey, just don't lie about it. Just confess your sins. And God, who's faithful and just, will forgive your sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Just keep really short accounts with the Lord. So we talked about that, and Jesus keeps repeating it. Why do you think Jesus keep re keeps repeating the themes? Because we, like the disciples, are sort of slow to get it. <laughs> and you go, yeah, Lord, I got that. But he needs to repeat it sometimes. Do you find that happens in your life? Happens in my life. So he says, you're already clean, and I want you to see something because of the word which I have spoken to you, the word. What does the Lord use to grow us, to give us resource and life, to refresh us, to keep us clean? What does the Lord use? And you go, I know you're a pastor. You gotta say this stuff. No. It's meditating on the word, desiring the word, getting the word in your heart. Remember the title of this sermon is the private life of the Christian. And I'll come back to that in a minute. He says, you're already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And what is the word? That I'm going to die. I'm going to be just like Jonah. You're going to ask for signs, and I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to be three days in the belly of the whale, and then I'm going to come out. Remember that? And he's saying that the death, his death and his resurrection by his word, cleans us, of course. And yet, we still walk in this world, and so we must continue with it. Now, here comes the biggie, ordering your private world. Abide in me, and I in you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch uh, cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I got to go back just real quickly. Remember when it says that Jesus prunes us, chastens us? You know what word that is in the Greek? Same, almost the same word. Catharsis. Cathartic. It's a cleansing. It's, a, it's not something to fear. It's some, ah, oh, thank you, Lord, for taking that away from me and putting me on the path of refreshment. That's it. By the way, in verse 3, you are already clean. A different form of the word catharsis. We're cleaned. Isn't that beautiful? You're already clean because of the word. Now he says, abide in me and I in you. I want you to see how 
intimate it is with the Lord. You are to abide in him, and he is to abide in you. And you know this, right? The word abide means stay under. I'll just let that sit there for a minute. Stay under, abide. Abide in him, abide in Jesus. If you want real life, here's what you don't do. You know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to be the kindest guy you ever saw in your life. That's what I used to do. Maybe some of us, maybe sometimes I still do it. Instead of saying, Lord, I would just want to be plugged into you today. You're the vine. I need your life to be kind to that person or whoever, right? Abide in me. Stay under. Be in fellowship with uh, uh, commit your whole life to abide and I and you. It's so intimate. There's an abiding and you're in him and he's in you. And so what are we to be doing? We're to be abiders, humble abiders, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. Neither can you. You, you can't, uh, uh, you know, produce anything, any fruit, unless you abide in me. Now, time out. Let's talk about what fruit is. Or no time out. Time in. Let's just go this way. What's fruit in the Bible? Well, if you search the scriptures, fruit are these things. I'll just tell them to you. Fruit, Romans 1, 13 Winning over souls. Hmm. Sharing the gospel. Talking about the Lord. Talking about his salvation. Talking about his uh, uh, um, sacrifice at the cross and his resurrection and ascension. All of that. That whole agenda. The Lord says when you participate in that, fruit is growing in your life. You know that fruit is growing in your life. And when people here, how, how many people here, seriously, close your eyes. No, no, you don't have to close your eyes. But raise your hand if you're worried about evangelizing. Just raise your hand. Don't be afraid. Raise your hand. You worried about evangelizing? Yeah, well, what's the agenda for evangelizing? Here's the agenda. Deriving the resource and the strength and the ability from the Lord to fall in love more and more with him Understanding that there's a world dying there without him so that you stop worshiping yourself as a people pleaser and go and share what you know will save them. And that's, or not what, who you know will save them. Jesus, that's fruit. And it comes from a life of abiding. Do you get that? It doesn't come by conjuring stuff up. It comes from a whole life of abiding being plugged into the vine to receive his life. That's fruit, the Bible tells us. How about this? Uh, holiness, it tells us in Romans. Holiness is a fruit. Just, do you, you know in Hebrews it says that we're to per, uh, pursue peace and holiness without which we won't see God. We are holy positionally in this sense, that we get his righteousness, but as we become more and more like Christ practically, he starts to produce fruit in your life that brings about, uh, brings about holiness. That's a fruit. How about this? Amazing. Can you believe this is in here? Giving. I know I'm the pastor, but it actually says this. Giving in the box, financially. Romans 15, 22. Giving is called a fruit in the Bible. How about good works? Colossians 1. Good works is called fruit. Seeing somebody who has a real need and then meeting that need, that's called a work. Hebrews 13, 15 through 17. The folks at Narrow Way are going to love this. Praise. All night of worship. When you participate in all night of worship at Narrow Way or you come in here, it's not just something to do because it's in the order of the service. It's actually a sacrifice, the Bible tells us in Hebrews. It's a sacrifice unto the Lord. It's something that you can do to give back to the Lord. A sacrifice, the fruit of our lips, praise is a fruit. Isn't that interesting? And then as Mark 
told us earlier, Galatians 5, love, the Lord's love, spirit-filled love, the love that comes straight from heaven, way different than the love you think I'm talking about. It isn't, oh, I like that person. I think I'll love them. This is the love that says, I don't care how they respond. I'm going to love them. That's the whole love of the Lord. And that's hard for us. And the Lord says, I'm going to develop that fruit in your life. And that's a fruit that's credited unto you. It's starting to grow in your life. And you go, well, wait a minute. I'll tell you the rest of the fruit. And you know the rest. Love, and then the subset of love, as Mark described, joy, peace, patience, long-suffering, kindness, gentleness, self-control, and the rest. You, you know these, right? These are things that start to pop up in your life as fruit. And you, but you need it from the Lord. How about this? If you read in Matthew 3, 8, the Bible says, I find this really fascinating, that we're going to produce fruit worthy of repentance or in keeping with repentance. If you have a repentant heart, the Bible says that's fruit. Humility, repentant, agreeing with God that what you've done is a sin, keeping short accounts. Matthew 3 verse 8 says that's a fruit. Righteousness, doing the right thing. You know, obviously we have the Lord's righteousness, but then he starts to lead us to do the right thing. Like this is one. I always use this example. You know, you're down at the office. And man, there's those enticing pens. I'm a pen guy. I love pens. I got like a million pens in my office. And you just think, I mean, they're never going to care if I just take one and take it home and use it. They got legal pads there, man. I love paper to write on the, with the pens. You know, your mind starts going this way. One time uh, I was at a youth conference up in, uh, uh, up in uh, Somerset, and I had to leave the conference and go to a Starbucks to prepare my sermon. And I got there, and I had no pen. And this lady at the counter says, oh, just use mine. And I go out there, and it's a beautiful day, and I'm writing out some notes for the sermon. And I, I'm telling you, I'm the pastor. And I start looking at the pen, and I'm like, oh, my goodness. She'll never know if I take this pen home with me. See, that's not righteousness. Righteousness is going back in and saying, here, here's your pen. And I'm making sort of a joke, but you know it filters down into little things of life. But the little things of life can become big things of life. And so righteousness is a fruit. Well, you might be able to find some more, but you understand what I'm saying is these fruit or the fruits start to develop in your life. Why or how? Only one way. And that's if you abide. And what's that mean? It means to stay under, to stay under, the Lord, to remain connected to him. The funny part is he never goes anywhere. You know, sometimes I hear people say, well, I'm dry and dusty. Where's the Lord? Well, he doesn't go anywhere. Most of the time, not always. Most of the time, it's us wiggling away from him. And we're not connected. And we're not connected. What's one way you can abide with Jesus? You see, <laughs> Andy Dean, who used to be out at the Bible college, who's now moved on to pastor some church, he wrote a book, and in that book he said, when the cell phones first came out, cell phones are going to be the death of devotions. I think he's right. It's the death of devotions. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. Charles Spurgeon said this, if we are weak in communion with God, we are weak everywhere. If we are weak in communion with God, we are weak everywhere. John Edie, a Scottish pastor, said this, power to live a new life 
depends upon daily communion with the living God. We have a bunch of people running around the church who know tons and tons and tons about God. But we have very few people who are running around in the church who actually commune with God. And I'm pointing the finger at myself first. Jesus addressed this. He knew we were going to need his power and resource. You remember this. He said, come away with me and rest a while. Vance Havner said this, Jesus know we must come apart or come away and rest a while or we're just going to plain come apart ourselves. Attachment to Christ, abiding in Christ, is the secret detachment from the world. Our time with God in the morning prepares us for our time with men during the day. What's one way of many ways that you, I believe, and I, we're called to commune with the Lord? It's to get rid of our phones every single day, and get with the Lord with these things, a Bible, a pen, and a piece of paper. Hopefully not a legal pad. Oh boy, there's one there. But you, you, you get what I'm saying. And to spend time with the Lord and to commune with the Lord. And how did he, said he say he was going to clean you? Through his word. I always tell this story. George Mueller. You guys know George Mueller. You love George Mueller. George Mueller opens these orphanages in England and says, I ain't taking no money. I'm not advertising. I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to pray to the Lord. And he's going to provide. And the way in which he describes his communion with God is that he would start reading the Bible. And when the Spirit spoke to him, he'd meditate on that scripture. That's how he started every morning of his life. And he'd get up early now. And he would meditate on the scripture. And this was his devotional life. And he would just ask the Lord to speak to me about this. And he would jot the notes down. And he would chew it over. And he would think about it during the day. And he would talk to the Lord. And he would ask the Lord. And that's one of the ways in which you and I and we can abide. Is that we stay with the Lord every single day. How can you give out life if you're not receiving that life from the vine. Jude 21 tells us something. Keep yourself in the love of Christ. Keep yourself there. Stay under. And then you go this. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. He's just saying these things over and over again. I think it's because... We have a tendency to not listen. As I said before, I'm the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather uh, them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now look, before we go back and unpack it for about another 50 minutes, no, just kidding. Before we go back and unpack it, I just read you the purpose of your life. If you don't understand and walk through this life understanding this purpose, It's tough, but if you understand this, oh, it unlocks freedom. Is that you were made to glorify the Lord, and he does it through the fruit that he puts into your life by an abiding relationship. Do you get it? He says, by this, all of this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. Now, I want to just address one thing here because I know you're going to be bothered by it. <laughs> Up in verse 2, he says, he, he who bears, uh, and every uh, branch that bears fruit, he prunes. Those are abiding people. 
that it might bear more fruit. And then down there in verse 6, everybody gets real queasy. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire. There's several views, if you talk to people in the Christian world about what this means, especially verse 6. Verse 2 is clearly talking about those who abide, he prunes, he chastens us. But what about verse 6? If anyone doesn't abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered. Well, there's a couple different views. Here's one view. The first uh, view believes the cast out branches are ones who, though once true believers, end up in the fire for a lack of abiding in fruit. They were once disciples, but are now cast out. The second view is that the cast out branches are ones who appeared to be disciples and never really abided in Jesus and therefore go to the fire. The third view sees the cast out branches as fruitless disciples who live wasted lives that are in effect burn up and this passage doesn't refer to any eternal destiny. But here's something that's very clear to me and hopefully it's very clear to you. If you're a humble abider, you are clearly in Christ. Oh, you're going to be chastened a little bit, but you're going to be propped up. If you're a humble abider, if you're just willing to run back to him, the Bible is clear here. You're going to be molded and shaped into the image of Christ, and you're going to begin to bear fruit that glorifies the Lord. Well, what about this? If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. I want you to see something. An abiding life includes answered prayer. An abiding life includes answered prayer. One of the fruit that you're going to start to see in your life is that God's going to answer prayer. But let me read to you what one theologian, R.A. Torrey, writes about this verse. In other words, is this a blank check? Can I just say, Lord, I need a Lexus. I'm going to believe it. I'm going to have enough faith. When I walk out there, there's going to be a Lexus car. And by the way, my car's dead, so I do need a Lexus. Listen to this, R.A. Torrey on this verse. The sap or the life of the vine constantly flowed into these branches. They had no independent life of their own. Everything in them was simply the outcome of the life of the vine flowing into them. Their buds, their leaves, their blossoms, their fruit were really not theirs, but the buds, the leaves, the blossoms and fruit of the vine. R.A. Torrey, listen to this. Renounce any independent life of our own to give up trying to think our thoughts, give up trying to form our own resolutions, give up trying to cultivate our own feelings. Boy, do I want to say that from the rooftops. Give up and simply and constantly look to Christ to think his thoughts in us, to form his purposes in us, to feel his emotions and affections in us. It's, the, uh, uh, it's to renounce all life independent of Christ and to constantly look to him for the inflow of his life into us and the outworking of his life through us. When we do this, and insofar as we do do this, our prayers will obtain that which we see from God. That deserved a way bigger uh, uh, response than that, but I'm going to give you that quote. I'm going to type it out, and I'm going to email it to you. There's this thing where we're renouncing the self-life, renouncing our thoughts about how to do things, renouncing our ways about how to do things, renouncing all of those things, and constantly looking to Christ you know what I say? I tell you this all the time. Here's what I say a lot of the times when I'm driving to downtown Pittsburgh. I don't say it, but I say it. I got this. I don't need you here. I've been a lawyer since 1992. 
I know how to do this. So I'll see you at five o'clock. And I bet you, if you're honest with yourself, you say it too. And here, the Lord says, renounce that stuff, that independent life. Give it up. And when you start to pray your prayers, you're going to see answered prayer because your will, or excuse me, because his will becomes your will. As the Father loved me, he says, almost too hard to believe, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. Remember, Jesus became a man and lived in perfect dependence upon the Father. Everything that the Father told Jesus to say, he said. Every place the Father told Jesus to go, he went. Every piece of work that the Father gave Jesus, he did. And then watch this. If you keep my commandments, you will stay in my love, Jude 21, or you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandment and abide in his love. And I want you to, before you leave, not think this. If I obey my commands, he'll love me. It doesn't say that. It says he already loves you. And if you obey his commands, you'll stay there in his love, under the shelter of his love. And sometimes it's really hard to obey his commands. And that's why he says, yes, abide. Lord, I don't want to forgive that person. I just don't. In my flesh, without you, I just don't want to go and talk to them. And the Lord says, wait a minute, she, he is a brother in Christ. I'm going to give you the strength and resource to do it. If you'll just renounce the self-life, I know you don't want to do it, but strip that away and do it anyway. And I'm going to bless you. I'm convinced when we say yes, yes and amen, all the promises of God are yes and amen. Remember this in Christ Jesus. When we say yes to what the, we know is in the word, the obey or the commandments, like, for instance, forgive, love. I'm convinced when we know we're having trouble doing it and we say, yes, we'll let down our guard, we'll let down our pride, and we'll go do it. I'm convinced right then he gives you the power to do it. Why am I convinced? Uh, up he goes. There's the beauty of the Christian life. He gives you the resource and strength when you need it, how you need it, at the time you need it, if you keep his commandments, you stay right there in his love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and always abide in his love. One other thing Jesus said is, I always do what pleases the father. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as, watch this, as I have loved you. Not just love one another, love as I have loved you. That's a repeat from Another or a prior chapter, greater love has no one than this, that he would lay down one's life for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. Being a follower of Christ is a servant master relationship. I'm the servant. You're the captain. I'm the private. You're the captain. I'm in subjection to you. But look, the Lord says, but I love you as a friend. Oh, my no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I heard from my father I've made known to you. You didn't choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. There it is. Here's the purpose of your life, is that you would go and bear this fruit and that your fruit should remain, that whatever you ask the father in my name, he will give you. Remember R.A. Tory. It's out of a life of abiding. These things I command you, that you love one another. And we'll close right there. So I would encourage you, exhort us, to order our private life. Here, just let me say this real quick. Are we doing another song? Up to you. You come on up. Here's what I would encourage. Listen, listen. Ask yourself, am I abiding? Am I staying under? It doesn't mean perfection. We sin. We understand that. We ask for uh, forgiveness. He forgives our sins, puts us on the right path. We live in repentance. That's fruit. It's not perfection. But are we uh, staying under what the Lord has for us so that we can receive his life? What in your life is the Lord asking you to cut out? 
What in your life is he asking you to put in? Ordering your private life. What does your life look like on a daily basis? Are you spending time with the Lord? Are you worshiping the Lord? Are you, or are you just watching, you know, ESPN 75 times? What is it? Or what are we doing? The church is weak because we don't receive power. We don't abide. We don't commune with the Lord. We know about the Lord, but we don't know him in real deep ways. And I think that's what the Lord's calling us to. So pray with me, would you? Lord, thank you for this day and thank you for this word. And I ask, Lord, that you would knit these things to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to be humble abiders. Help us to renounce the self-life. Boy, do I need that. Help me, Lord. Help us. And Lord, we're praying that you would develop the fruit, not that we conjure it up, but you develop it in our lives so that until you come again, many would come to know you through this little body of believers. In Jesus' name, amen.